Well, welcome everybody. You can uh, find your seat if it's still there. Someone didn't take it. Um, if not, you can just have grace on them and sit someplace else. That happens from time to time when we get up and greet and people are coming in. And um, you know, as we were sitting here, I was watching all these kids come in and kids around and I think man we're, we're still fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant today isn't it awesome like Abraham would be proud there's still children being born in his name like wow he's in heaven's like yes another one so how cool is that um, we're glad you chose to join us today uh, and like we said earlier we're in our series uh, in our in the book of Deuteronomy and um, this is a picture that we've used and we'll be using throughout the series and kind of it signifies Moses you know when he was allowed to go up on the mountain and look out over the promised land, but he wasn't allowed to go in. He wasn't allowed to, to actually get it fully, right? Which is kind of what we are as believers. We, we stand on the edge of heaven. We know that if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he promises us a promised land with him forever that he will come and establish, but we don't know if, if we're going to make it or not. We, we may die before he comes, and it, just like Moses, when he was on that mountain, God buried him, and that was the end of his life. And so it's kind of the saying that you can find yourself kind of staring, looking out, wondering, what, what is going on? What, when is it coming? What, what's life about? These are kind of some of the questions as you stand and you look out and wonder and in awe and amazement of God's creation. And one of the things that we've talked about through this series in the book of Deuteronomy is that you'll see the words all the way through the book that say, Yahweh is giving you, God is giving you, the Lord is giving you. All the way through Deuteronomy, this phrase is repeated over and over and over and over and over. Constantly, he is giving you. You see, all the other world religions say you can get it by earning it, right? All the other world religions say God gives you a set of rules and laws, and if you do them, then you get things from him. Christianity and ancient Judaism are the complete opposite of that. They actually say that it, God has to give it to you. You can't earn it. It's his grace is the word we use in Christianity that allows you to even have breath, life, anything. Does that make sense? And so even in Deuteronomy, this phrase the Lord is giving you is used over and over again in the context of Moses giving his law. He's reminding the people, he's coming to the end of his life, and this is his farewell address to his people, and he's reminding them of all the law that God gave them, all the rules, all the statutes, all the ordinances. He's laid them all out. He reminds them of all of them, and then he reminds them the whole time, God has given this to you. And can I just tell you that the law is a gift. The Old Testament law is grace to us. It's a gift to us to show us what life's supposed to be about. It shows us the brokenness of our world. It communicates to us the longings that we have of justice, of love, of what to do in, the, in, in different circumstances. The law is a gift, but unfortunately in our world today, just like in Moses' day, we've turned the law, we've turned God's word into something that's a burden. Oh, it's so hard to do. Oh, I mean, it's like if you were in a relationship, and I've said this before, but, and you looked at the person and say, man, it's just so hard to get up and love you every day. It's just so hard for me to wake up next to you. I mean, you got so many demands on my life, but I'm coming back. I'll come back tonight for dinner. How's your relationship going to be in a circumstance like that? And yet that's the way that most believers see God. They come back on Wednesday, Sunday, Sunday night. We just have Sunday morning, maybe a small group. 
And it's like there's no, the relationship doesn't affect us because we don't, are you ready for this? We don't understand what the other person in the relationship is giving to us. And that's exactly what a covenant does and that's what God has done for his people. We looked at the fact that this entire story, oh, today's going to be come, listen, learn, and follow carefully. This is what Moses tells the people in chapter 5 and 6 of Deuteronomy. We'll be in chapter 4 through, through 6 today. He says, come, listen, learn, and then follow carefully. This is the same message Jesus had. He said, come, follow me, listen. And then he said, learn from me. And then he said, follow me carefully. If you want to be my disciple, you will follow me. It, this is the same message given in Deuteronomy that Jesus gave when he came. It's identical. It's not, it's not different. And yet we look at the Old Testament and we go, oh, well, that was back then. It was, it was different now. Well, it is a little different. It's actually better now, but it was good back then. And we look at it and say, oh, it was bad back then. No, it was good. It was the best God had offered to that point in his redemptive story. We have a better offering. He's shown us more than we could ever think or imagine. And we should be grateful for whatever God gives us, whatever he's revealed to us. But so often, like you, like me, I look at God and say, you haven't done enough. You, you, haven't, you haven't given me enough information. And God's heart breaks, which we'll see today. Here's the area that they're in. It's about a 200 square mile that the children of Israel have been in. They will be in for about 39 years. 200 square miles, that's it. That's the size of Vermont. They don't leave for 39 years. Why? Because they disobeyed God, and God said everybody in that generation would have to die because of their disobedience, that they wouldn't enter into the land, and we'll see that in a second. Here's 4.1. Moses is picking back up his speech. He's given the first part of his speech, and now he begins on the second part of his speech. And he says, or sermon, you could call it a sermon, or his message, because that's what he's doing. He's giving a series of messages to the people. He says, now Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I am teaching you to follow so that you may live. See, most of the time we look at the law and we think, oh, that's just so hard. That's going to kill me to do that. It's so difficult. And he's like, no, this is so you can have a great life. And then he says, enter and take possession of the land Yahweh, the God of your fathers, is giving you. It's a gift. All you got to do is like enter in and be obedient to follow what he's asked you to do and continue to follow him. And when you mess up, he's provided a sacrifice for you to ask forgiveness and get back on track. That, that's the way this works. Then he goes and he says, you must not add anything to what I command you or take anything away from it so that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God I'm giving you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed every one of you who followed Baal of Peor. Now you read this, and again, Moses, you remember there's Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. There's other books. This is the final book. So he's reminding them of their history. He's giving them a testimony. And what he's referring back to is he's saying, look, you guys know that it's best if you obey God, but let's be honest, you don't. And you've got to remember that when you don't, there are consequences. And so Moses could have picked any story he wanted to. But for some reason, when he's talking about really following God and he wants to give them a reminder, he goes back to this incident. Can I tell you, if you read through this incident, it goes from Numbers 22 to Numbers 31. This incident pretty much covers almost 10 chapters of Scripture, this one incident he's referring to. 
Now, there's a couple of chapters in there where there's a little sidebar, but pretty much nine chapters of scriptures are dedicated to the event that happened at Baal Peor. Do you know what happened at Baal Peor? Yeah, I didn't think so. So what's I'll tell you what happened at Baal Peor. Here's the story, Numbers 22. The Israelites traveled on. Now, this is after they've already been told they can't get into the promised land. So there's a depression right now among the people. They realize they're going to be wandering, that the next 39 years of their life is not going to be what they thought it would turn out to be. They've been told, you're not getting in. And so see, isn't it interesting when we're told no, what our response to the next ask is? See this in kids, right? Kids will tell you no, and then you say, well, then do this. No, you just keep getting no, right? Until what? Until there's discipline. Because that's just our heart. That's who we are. We stand up in our heart and say, I want to be the authority. I want to control my life. I want to do it the way I want to do it. That's exactly what's going on in Numbers. He says, the Israelites traveled on and camped in the plains of Moab near the Jordan across from Jericho. God has them moving. He actually puts them right next to the promised land. Can you imagine the frustration? Do we really have to camp here? Right there is where we're supposed to go in, and we can't. And you bring us around here to camp here? Like, Lord, really, you would do this to us? Couldn't you, like, send us far away so we don't have to look at it? Right? Nope. God brings them around. He camps them out right next to the Jordan. This is exactly where Joshua leads the people into the promised land from, this exact spot. So where the worst sin that we know of, because Moses uses it as one of the worst sins, happens, God also later brings Joshua to that place to have it be the greatest miracle that ever happened in God's people. When he splits the Jordan, they go in, the walls of Jericho fall down, okay? They fall, they fall outward and burn the city. By the way, they found the ruins of Jericho. It's exactly how the Bible said it would ha- happen. Every bit of it. Historically, we know it happened according to the way the scriptures laid it out. And so he chooses this spot. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Moab was terrified of the people because they were numerous, and Moab dreaded the Israelites. So the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde will devour everything around us like an ox eats up the green plants of the field. Since Balak, son of Zippor, was Moab's king at the time, he sent messengers to Balaam, son of Baor at Pethor. This guy was a prophet. And so this, this king is wanting to get Balaam the prophet to curse God's people. What ends up happening is Balaam can't do it. He tries to curse God's people. And if you read the story, his donkey talks to him to keep him alive. It's kind of funny. And, then, and so his donkey keeps him from dying. And then he finally says, you know what? I can't curse these people. I have to say what God wants me to say. And he says what God wants him to say. But in the midst of this, Here's what happens. While Israel was staying in the Acacia Grove, so they're traveling through the the Midianite land. They're camped out where the Midianites, their their people are. The people began to have sexual relations with the women of Moab. You look at this and you're like, okay, wait a minute. How do you get from God gives ordinances and then all of a sudden people are just having crazy sex? I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to understand how you get from there to there, right? It's not hard. It's not difficult. You know, if you imagine what's going on in their culture right now, you've got men that were supposed to go into the promised land. They didn't. They went in. They brought back a bad report. And and now these women have to suffer for 39 years because the warriors agreed and said, we aren't going to go in and fight. And it's a big mess. Can you imagine the relationship dysfunction that's happening in Israel right now? 
Can you imagine the wives that are looking and saying, well, my son's going to get into the promised land, but you're an idiot, and I don't want to listen to you. You're going to die anyway in the wilderness. You don't think that crossed the minds of those families wandering around? I guarantee you it did. Because that's the way our heart works so often. And so here you have this mess. Who knows? Maybe the women are denying the men. Because they're just so frustrated and mad that we have to wander around and get manna from heaven when we could be in the promised land. We don't know the story, but we do know this. This is a bad idea. God told him not to even have relations with them as in a treaty, much less sleep with them and create children. He's like, this is not what you need to be doing. So then it says, so Israel aligned itself with Baal Peor and the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord so his burning anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses told Israel's judges, kill each of the men who align themselves with Baal of Peor. You see, what we do with sex is the ultimate declaration of what we think our body needs and what we think we can do to someone else. That's why it was a gift given by God in the context of a covenant relationship of marriage. Because it's very, you have to deal with it very carefully. And when you don't, it's incredibly destructive. And God knows this. He gave it as a covenant. It is the signifying of the, of the bringing together of the covenant. And when you mess with that, God does not get, he's not happy with that at all. And so he says, so Moses told them, kill all of them. Now we look at this and it's easy to say, wow, this seems pretty harsh. You're just going to execute people in broad daylight? God isn't willing to do anything to anyone else that he isn't willing to suffer himself. Let me say that again. God isn't willing to do anything to anyone else that he isn't willing to suffer himself. You want to know why I know? Because Jesus was crucified naked in broad daylight. You can look at this and say, how horrible, how could they do this? Because our sin is so deplorable and awful before God that it required his son to be stripped naked and executed in public just to have, so that we could, any of us, have the gift of eternal life and deal with the sin that we, and the, and the mess that we are, deserve in our lives. See, here's our problem. We don't want to believe that. It's easier to believe in a God I can make deals with. It's easier to believe in a God that I can, like, I can do a few good things and it outweighs the bad, and then I can stay in control of the relationship, and I don't have to do something that may seem hard or difficult. I don't have to look at the death of Christ and say, wow, my sin is worthy of that. Everything I have is a gift compared to that. Like, anything I have, I deserve. Any, if, I'm, if I'm not there, it's a gift. If I'm upright, it's a gift. If I'm breathing, it's a gift. It's all a gift compared to that. That's exactly what God's trying to teach his people. It's like, you guys have forgotten that this is all a gift. I'm keeping you alive, and you're acting like, well, might as well enjoy 39 years of wandering best we can. We're not getting out alive. Let's just enjoy it. You only live once. YOLO, right? Put on the t-shirt. Let's go to Moab. Find us some women. It's exactly what we do. It's what our culture teaches us. It's no different. And God's like, this is bad. He goes on, he says, an Israelite man came bringing a Midianite woman to his relatives in the sight of Moses and the whole Israelite community while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The arrogance. The entire community is before the altar of God at the tent of meeting. They are wailing out loud 
Moses is there. The leaders are on their face crying out to God. They know why, because Moses has told them why we're crying out to God, that he won't destroy us. And this guy has the arrogance to walk right through him and be like, and walk right in. Thinking, well, my family will be fine with it. I don't really care about any of you. I'm going to die anyway. And he's, that, the pride of that should just like go, oh, oh. But before you judge him too harshly, how often do we do this? How often do we in our hearts stand up in our pride and walk right through the throne room of God and tell him what we think he should do? We walk right through and be like, and you, and you, and we're just like this guy. And people around us are broken. They're crying out to God. And, we're like, yeah. and we walk right through. So don't be too harsh. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he got up from the assembly, took a spear in his hand. He followed the Israelite into the tent and drove it through both the Israelite man and the woman, through her belly. Then the plague in the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000 people. 24,000 people died. Because we could do it better. We don't know where the plague came from. The Bible doesn't tell us that. I wonder if the Moabites had the plague. You don't know. Maybe God said, hey, don't have relations. Pass through Moab. They've got a plague. They've got a disease that will spread to you. Don't, don't deal with it. We don't know. But it could be. And we're warned all the time. We don't listen. I'll be fine. And I love this because you look at this again. Are you ready for this? And it says he drove a spear. And it's like, wow, that's, that's brutal. Um, who else had a spear driven through them? Jesus. He didn't do anything to anybody that he isn't willing to take on himself. That's our God. It's very different. And we look at this and say, how could you do something so horrible? And God's like, because your sin is that bad. My, your sin is, our sin is that bad. It's despicable. It requires death. It goes on and it says, after the plague, the Lord said to Moses and Eleazar, son of the Aaron, the priest, take a census of the entire Israelite community by their ancestral house of those 20 years or older who can serve in Israel's armory. So, just so you know, what they did is they said, okay, now we're getting ready to wander some more. Let's really take a census of who all's going to be here when we're ready to enter the promised land. So if you were a teenager, 19 or below, you're getting in the promised land. 20 or over, you're done. We've got to wait for you to die, right? I've, I've said this before, but can you imagine being like Bob, the last guy who's still alive at 60, you know? And everybody's like, Bob's still alive. I wonder how he's feeling today. Somebody should probably go check on Bob, see how he's doing. He looks really healthy today. Oh, man. You know? Because that's what they did. They took an entire census to say all the men. And isn't it interesting? God says the men are going to have to die. He doesn't say anything about the women and children. You know, we live in this whole idea that it's all about the patriarchy and the Bible's all structured around it. it's male, 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 really, because he's going to kill all the men. God doesn't let it slide at all. And you know what's crazy? It goes on, it says, Yet they are the ones at Balaam's advice, who at Balaam's advice incited the Israelites to unfaithfulness against the Lord 
in the Peor incident so that the plague came against the Lord's community. He's saying the Moabites were the ones that incited this. He gave them an idea. Here's how you can get the Israelites. If you sleep with them, they'll worship your gods. If you go in and you act all pretty and nice, they'll, they'll give in. They'll, they'll, they'll come over and then you can get them. That's ex- he gave them the idea and they did it. Now, before you think too badly of Moabites and Moab, isn't there a Moabite that just recently we talked about for a few weeks? Ruth. That God brought the salvation of the world, of his son Jesus, through the world, through who? A Moabite woman. See, God does this all the time. He takes these awful circumstances where it's like, now we should be like, oh, let's all, those Moabites are horrible. Let's get them all. And he says, no, I'm going to use a Moabite to bring about the salvation of the world because that's just the way I am. I take the worst circumstances and I turn them upside down and I show off how great I am and how forgiving and gracious I am. That's who I am. This story is incredible when you really think about it, how it plays into the picture of Jesus. In verse 4 it says, But you who have remained faithful to the Lord, your God, are alive today. So Moses is speaking. He's giving his final farewell address to these people before they go into the promised land. And he's saying, you remember the incident, and now I stand before you. And Moses is like, I'm Bob. (laughs) I'm the last guy. All the rest of the men are dead. Moses is Bob. When I climb the mountain, it's all done. Joshua's taking over. He's taking you in. Right? And he looks and he says, but those of you who have remained faithful, those of you who have, who have believed God, have wandered, have stayed, you haven't gone and just moved to another nation and said, forget these Israelites, those of you, you're going to cross the Jordan, across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain the law saying, Carefully follow them. Isn't it interesting that Moses is using this place to re-explain the law where they broke it so badly? And he says, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the people. When they hear about these statutes, they will say, this nation is great, or his nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him? Wow. There's a God who's just, he wants us to call to him. He wants to come near us. Now he can't have sin in his presence. That's the problem. But that's why he provided Jesus so that we have a way to come near to him and not be afraid. That's always been what he's been doing throughout history. And it says, and what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law I set before you today? Moses said the point of all of this story, the story we're involved in, the point of it is to show the nations how great our God is, period. It's not about us. It's about showing them our God gave us this, our God, he did it, 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 he did it. Not me, not my family, not Abraham, not my, he did it. He did it over and over and over again. And he puts them in other nations for that reason. Goes on and he says this, Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. That's right. You need to teach the Baal Peor incident to your children. How many of you have ever had a little devotion time with your little girl, son, and said, let's read about Baal Peor. 
And then they shoved a spear through both of them. Like, but that's what they were required to share. Moses is saying, these are the stories that define us. See, here's our deal. Especially with social media, we only want the good stories out there. And that's what all the other religions are about, getting the good story out there. Our God says, here's the real story that shows how good I am for you. Here's the real story, the full picture, the mess, the disaster, all of it, and how I just keep turning it all around. He's like, that's why I give you the truth, not sugarcoated. I mean, it's amazing. And so he says, the day you stood before the Lord. So he says, God wants to come near to you. And then he reminds them of this. Because at the same moment, he's saying, God wants to come near to you. When they hear that, they understand, wait a minute. If God comes near, he's going to kill me. If God comes near me, what's going to happen is I'm going to burn. Because I'm, I'm not holy and God is. And I know that when a priest goes in the Holy of Holies and he might have something wrong with him, we've got to drag his dead body out with a rope. They tie bells to him in a rope so that like when he falls dead, we pull him out and be like, oh, that's too bad. Next guy up. Like, that's how they did it in the Old Testament. And so when they say God's going to come near to you, there's a bit of panic for them. And he says the reason goes back to this incident. He reminds them of another incident, another testimony. And he says, the day the Lord stood before you at Horeb, the Lord said to me, assemble the people before me. And I will let them hear my words so they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and may instruct their children. Is this not a beautiful picture? Where he's like, I want them to learn what it means to truly have fear of me, not just be afraid of me, but have an awe, a reverence, so that you can instruct your kids. I want your kids to be successful. I want them to know the truth. Like, I want them to hear this. I want them to learn this. This is when they were at Mount Sinai. They had just come out of Egypt. They had been 400 years believing the lies of the gods of Egypt. They had been raised as Egyptians, pretty much, slaves. They had very little of their heritage left, and God brought them out of the promised land, and he's reminding them who they really are. You're not Egyptians. You're not slaves. You're not worthless. I'm calling you out to show off to the nations how good I am. That, that's the story. So he calls them to a mountain. He says, if you remember, Moses kept asking Pharaoh, let us go to the mountain to worship. Pharaoh's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can go. Oh, no, you can't. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you can't. Oh, listen, there's some scholars, and they may be right, that had Pharaoh let them go worship on the mountain, they would have just come back. Now, God knew Pharaoh wasn't going to let him. He said his heart was hardened. But all they wanted to do was go to the mountain to hear from their God and come back. It wasn't, we're going to escape. It was, can you just let us go worship? And when he finally kept lying, God's like, okay, that's it. I'm done. He goes on. He says, look at this. For your own good, be extremely careful. Can I tell you that I would characterize Western Christianity as extremely careless, not careful? We are, we are some of the most careless beings. You don't think so? Every day I walk in, on sun, or every Sunday morning I walk in, and I come down this street to the Banneker, I always end up with hands full of trash that I throw in the trash bin before I come to church. How did that trash get there? Like, did it miraculously appear? Like, it was teleported from another planet? Some, like, no, carelessness. 
The trash, truck, the trash truck comes and dumps in the back and it falls off the side and he just drives on. Then he's driving down the road and stuff's flying out and it's like, oh, somebody will get it. We're careless. And God's like, you need to be really careful. That doesn't mean fearful. It doesn't mean legalistic. It means think about how to properly care for things and people. You should be constantly thinking about how does God say I'm to care for him, to care for myself, to care for others. What does God say caring looks like? And then we go to his word, we go to his laws, we research, we like, man, God, I want to know the right thing to care for someone in this circumstance. Realizing that sometimes care looks very strange. Like a spear going through two people. Because that's what stopped the plague and brought care so that no more than 24,000 people died. He goes on and he says, but you are about to cross over and take possession of this good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. And make an idol for yourselves in the shape of anything he's forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. It's a, he goes on, he says, if you act corruptly, make an idol in the form of anything and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, provoking him to anger. Moses says, I call heaven and earth as a witness against you today that you will quickly perish from the land. You will certainly be destroyed and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. And can I just tell you that it's like, oh, we're going to be scattered. And God's like, yeah, I'm going to scatter you. Want to know why I'm going to scatter you? So you get in really bad circumstances and see how really bad it is when people don't have God and cry out to me. Like, you think it's bad, and you think, oh, this is so terrible. Really? Really? You think it's so, oh, we we're so persecuted as Christians here. Really? How about you go start to, you know, go do a church plant in, I don't know, Iran, see how that goes. You won't last very long. You don't even have to de declare Christ. You just have to say you're an American. It's over for you. If you can even get in the country, because you'll have to sneak in there, because they're not going to give you a visa to get in. You see, when God is looking at this, he's saying, look, I'm going to scatter you. And the reason I'm going to scatter you is so that you cry out to me to what to come to me. And then when you come to me, you'll start listening. And then when you start listening, you'll actually learn something. And then you'll actually follow what I ask you to do. Because that's who we are in our hearts. That's what it requires for us. I mean, we're so bad. Are you ready for this? We're so bad in Western Christianity, we'll even make the Bible an idol. He says don't have any idols. We make the Bible an idol. There are people who have Bibles sitting on their shelf. It's like their family Bible, right? It's passed down to me. and it's I remember at our wedding, someone bought me, okay? Because I was a new believer, and this guy wasn't a believer yet. He now is a believer. And I remember he bought me one of those white Bibles, like huge with the big print and Jesus' face on the front, you know, the old 70s Jesus on the front, where he's like, just ahead the bust, right? I mean, that's the Bible, and it was white, and it was gold embroidered around, you know, and it's like, I mean, you just flip this thing open. I mean, you've probably seen one of those, right? He bought me that, and I just, I'm like, I'm laughing, because I'm like, this guy doesn't even know what's in here. Like, he's buying me a Bible thinking, oh, he's going to want a Bible. I'm like, no, nah, I want God, and I have plenty of Bibles. I appreciate the gift, but I want you to read it. Here, have it back. But that's what we'll do. We've got a president right now 
who will raise his Bible. Listen, I'm not judging him. I'm just saying, he'll raise a Bible. He'll swear on a Bible. We'll take oaths on a Bible. And we haven't even read the dumb thing. What we need to do, I, I really want to help, you know, do what God says. Really, have you read cover to cover? Like, have you even read it once? Like, one time? Like, no. I, I, then you don't really care. You're not being careful. Then the Bible's an idol to you. It's something that you think, if I say I'm for the Bible, that God will be happy with me, and then he'll give me good things. Is the Bible amazing? Yeah, it's great. It's awesome. But we take the best things and twist them around to idols all day long. And it's despicable to God when we do that. Because nothing is supposed to be in first place above him. It doesn't mean the Bible's not good. It doesn't mean our children aren't good. Our marriage isn't good. Our job isn't good. But when those things begin to take first place above our God, they become idols. And they become problematic that we need to be careful with. He says, but from there, look, he says, when I scatter you, this is what will happen. But from there, when you're scattered, you'll search for the Lord your God. <laughs> you'll finally wake up. And you'll find him when you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you're in distress and all the things have happened to you, you will return to the Lord your God in the later days and obey him. He will not leave you, destroy you, or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them by oath. Because the Lord your God is a compassionate God. Wait, I'm, wait, wait. He can't be compassionate because I've been scattered and I'm in a foreign land. Yeah, he could have killed you. You should be dead. Be thankful you're at least alive in a foreign land and can still cry out to him. And he goes on, he says, you were shown these things so that you would know, so that you would know that the Lord is God and there is no other besides him. The whole point of you knowing these things isn't to try to get in good. It's not to say, well, I can keep this and keep that and make a, um, uh, all these contracts with God. It's just to say, wow, I'm he, God has given me himself. Wow, that I get to even have a relationship. goes on and it says, then Moses set apart three cities across the Jordan from the east. This seems weird in the middle of this passage, but it's not. He says, someone could flee there who committed manslaughter, killing his neighbor accidentally without previously hating him. He could flee to one of these cities and stay alive. This is the law Moses gave to the Israelites. These are the decrees, statutes, and ordinances Moses proclaimed to them after they came out of Egypt. He just got done saying God is a compassionate God. They've watched a lot of murder happen and people get in spirit. They've watched a lot of stuff happen. And in the midst of this, Moses says, but God told me to be sure that for those people who accidentally take someone's life, you can't just take their life. You need to give them a place to be scattered to and see what their response is to me, knowing that they've broken the law. And there's nothing they can do to make up for it. There's nothing they can do to make up for what they've done. They've killed someone. You can't bring that back. You can't give a family member enough money to say, we're good now, right? And he said, I know that you want retribution. There will be justice someday, but I'm taking that justice for this situation because they didn't hate that person. They didn't do it out of hate. They did it out of an accident. And so God in his compassion says, I'm not one of these gods that's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and I'll get you. No, I look at the heart. If your heart did it because it's like, oh, I shouldn't have, oh. There's a way of escape, but if your heart was like, they got what they deserved, you got nowhere to flee from a living and jealous God. It goes on, it says this, Moses summoned all Israel, said to them, Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I'm proclaiming 
as you hear them today. Learn and follow them carefully. He says it again. The Lord your God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord spoke to you face to face from the fire on the mountain. At that time, I was standing between the Lord and you to report the word of the Lord to you because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up on the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. This is one of the most heartbreaking moments in scripture for me. That God looks at his people and he says, I'm calling you up. It'll be okay. I know I'm scary. I know there's fire going around the mountain. You can come up here. And the people are like, no. We don't want to get too close to that. We're afraid of what might happen to us. In the meantime, where's the faithful person at? The person who wants to be close to God. Where is he at? He's in the fire. He literally walked into it. Like all the fire's happening and they end up worshiping a golden calf. Why? Because they think Moses got consumed by the fire because he hasn't come back down off the mountain yet. And Moses is up there, and this is what God sends him back with. He says, okay, fine, don't have any other gods. Do not make an idol. I, I wanted to tell you these things. I wanted to have a conversation with you personally, but I guess I'm gonna have to let Moses bring you the don'ts because you don't wanna know the do's. So he says, don't make an idol. Don't misuse God's name. Be careful to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your mother and father. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give dishonest testimony. Don't covet this is called the Ten Commandments, another idol that we have in our culture. We want to put it on courthouses, but we don't want to do it. <laughs> I want it to be on the courthouse lawn, but I don't, I don't actually want to really strive in my own life to be careful with these commands. Because these are serious commands that God says. He goes on, and if you remember, the, these, these, these uh, commandments are broken into two parts. The first four are about loving God, the next six are about loving people. He says, here's some basics on how to love me and how to love people. And he walks right through them pretty simply. And you think, well, I've never committed adultery, really. Jesus said, if you ever look at someone lustfully, you've committed in your heart. I've never committed murder. He said, if you've done it in your heart, then you've done it. Well, I've never stolen, really. You've never gotten anything of dishonest gain and didn't say anything about it? You just say, oh, I'm blessed. <laughs> you've never given a dishonest testimony without checking the facts, i.e. Facebook, Snoops, how many times have you posted something and someone's like, uh, here's Snoop, that's not what happened, right? It's called a dishonest testimony. Don't covet, don't want what other people have. Really, our entire culture's built on that. He goes on and he says, you said, look, the Lord your God has shown us his glory and greatness. We've heard his voice from the fire. Today we've seen that God speaks with a person, yet he still lives. But now why should we die? They've seen that God will speak to people and live and they still believe the lie they're gonna die. Isn't that the same for us? Jesus says, come to me. You can surrender your life to me. I'll believe. And we go, no, because then I'm going to have to die. He's like, well, you're going to die anyway, but, but I actually have life for you. And he goes on and he says, the great fire will consume us. We'll die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For who out of all mankind has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the fire as we have and live? Who? Moses, who was right there with him. Right? So they think Moses is a special person. Like God doesn't want to have a relationship with us like he does Moses. Right? Like, like Moses is the special guy who gets a close relationship with God, but we're all distant. That's still prevalent today. God wants to be personal and relate to each one of us. He goes on and he says, go near. Look at this. Go near and listen to everything the Lord our God says 
then you can tell us everything the Lord our God tells us. We will listen and obey. No, they won't. They won't. They're not going to listen and obey. That's a cop-out. They're like, well, if we let Moses get killed, like he, he'll, he'll get killed and we won't have to. Like, and then we could say, well, Moses told us and we did it and so it's his fault. Like, that's exactly what this heart is when you read, read about where they were at. God wanted them personally and they're like, no, we, we want Moses between us. They wanted a personal relation. God's like, I want to I wanna know. I'm going to provide the way. They couldn't believe him for it. Did God still use it? Sure, he raised up Moses, he raised up John. He was still faithful to his part of the covenant, even though they didn't want the full covenant. If only they had such a heart. Look at this. This is God speaking. Only if they had such a heart to fear me and keep all my commands always so that they and their children were prosper forever. Be careful. There it is again. Be careful to do as the Lord your God commanded you. You're not to turn aside to the right or the left. Follow the whole instruction of the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live, prosper, and have a long life in the land you will possess. It's, it's the same for us today. God says, if only they had a heart. He says, be careful not to turn to the right or the left. God longs to find people who will listen. He, he's looking for people that will come and listen and learn and then follow carefully. Our culture knows this. Right? Last night, we're laying in bed, and Clint came in to Susan, and Susan mentioned, because Susan had some white strips on. She got them for Christmas a couple of Christmases ago. <laughs> She's finally using them. And Clint's like, whoa, what's that? You know, like you see mom. And like, hey, yeah. He's like, those are, those are their white strips. I got them for just using them, whatever. And lo and behold, I come in about 15 minutes later and Susan pulls up her Facebook and wouldn't you know there's an advertisement for Crest White Strips right there on her phone. Is Facebook listening? Trust me, they're wanting to get near to you. All the advertisers want to get near to you. They want to make a covenant with you. It's called an agreement. When you click I agree, you're making a covenant. You're giving an oath. I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. And every time you do that, do you pray about that? Does God really want me to have this app? Does he really want me to agree to these terms? I mean, I haven't even read them. See, we've already been trained not to know the terms. That's why we don't read our Bibles. We just click agree. Oh, this Jesus sounds great. I agree. Click I agree. And then we get the real terms and we're like, Facebook's listening to me in bed at night somehow. They say they aren't. But how does this happen? I haven't looked for Crest White Strips online. That was like three years ago. And then someone got them for me on my Christmas list. I don't think they went back three years and it just popped. And we just go, well, well, we're wandering for 39 years. Doesn't really matter. We don't need to be careful. Just do whatever God wants us to do. Just try to survive another day. It's exactly what's happening here. I'm not saying don't be on Facebook. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying, do you understand that the desire for everyone is to get close to you like the Moabite women so that you can become idolatrous the way they want you to? It's manipulation. And God says, I want you to come close for the right reasons. And then in 6.4, as we wrap up, in 6.4, this is one of the pivotal moments in Israel's history right here. This is called the Shema. This is still quoted today in synagogues and in temples and, and places of worship for the Jews. This became their mantra. It also became their idol. That they quote this and don't even know that their Messiah has already come. 
And God in heaven, his heart breaks that his people are still standing before the mountain, distant from him. Just like many of the people out here are. That God is calling out, wanting people to come, and we refuse to get too close because we know what the cost might be. And he says, listen, Israel, come. Moses summons the people, come. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. They're to to take you over. They're to become the driving force of why you wake up in the morning, why you live each day, why you go to bed. They are, this is to be the driving force in your life. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He's like, you should, this should be everywhere that you, that you know me and that you believe these laws are good. But we don't. We try to hide it because we know how offensive it is to speak the truth. You know, what's really interesting to me right now is with the abortion issue, and Alabama just passed a law almost outlawing abortion. It probably won't stand. It'll go to the Supreme Court. It looks like it'll probably be voted down, and Roe v. Wade will still continue to be the law of the land. And the people are upset in Alabama because they say there's no way for rape or incest victims, right, to have a way of escape, a way out. It is the excuse or the mantra. But isn't it interesting to me that in recent weeks, as a staff, we've kind of been watching how this is going down and how it plays out. And as we've watched it, it's interesting to see celebrities come out and they're actually declaring God's law. There was a celebrity that came out and said, you know what? If it's going to continue to go this way, maybe we should practice abstinence and we women don't let men sleep with us so we get pregnant. Thank you. That's what we've been saying for like ever as Christians, like Yeah, don't give yourself away unless you're in a committed marriage ready to have children. Amen and amen. Thank you, Alyssa Milano. And she doesn't even know she quoted scripture. She doesn't even know. She's like, I'm going to get them with the law. Yeah, we have that law. Another person came out, another celebrity said, why is it that we keep punishing the women? They have the right to their own bodies. What we should do is we should kill the men when they rape people. Yeah. That's what the law says. You're so smart. That's what God said 6,000 years ago. You're a genius. Like, it's amazing to me that we've come so far down the rabbit hole of destruction that we're actually, like, declaring God is right because we got no other option. It's like God is saying, hello, I'm here. I want to help. And we're like, no, no. You're scary. And God's like, don't take innocent life. One of the things that Israel constantly did was they kept going back to the the God of Molech. And the significance of the God of Molech is he was the child sacrifice God. He would sacrifice your children to Molech to get in good for harvest, for your life. And that's the same message as abortion. This kid's going to mess up your life. He's going to grow up poor. Can I just tell you that the logic of that ends in a very bad place because what happens when the kid's three and you're in a mess and you're poor? It's better for me to just smother my child in bed so they don't have to suffer for the next 50, 60 years. And you can't judge them because that was the original argument to abortion. 
Listen, if you've had an abortion, there is forgiveness available. God makes that clear in Scripture, that he loves people, that he's provided a way of escape through what Christ has done, that you don't have to die for your sin. You can put it on Christ and respond and say, God's laws are good. But here he is, and he's saying, look, make sure people know these laws. When the Lord brings you into the land, you swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would give you, a land with large and beautiful cities you did not build, houses full of good things you did not fill with them with, wells dug you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Fear Yahweh your God, worship him, and take oaths in his name. Do you remember when President Obama said you didn't build that? And the Christian right came out against him and wanted to crucify him for it? He's not the first person to say that. Now, was he using it in the wrong context? I think so. But he wasn't wrong. Because when we come to a place where we understand what God's done for us, we realize we have no right to anything. That it's all his. He goes back and he says... Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God is among you as a jealous God. Otherwise, the Lord your God will become angry with you. He'll wipe you off the face of the earth. Don't test the Lord your God. Carefully observe the commands of the Lord your God, the decrees and statutes he's commanded you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so you may prosper, so that you may enter and possess the good land the Lord your God swore to give your fathers by driving out all your enemies before you as the Lord has said. And can I just tell you, Jesus said that he wants to come into our life to drive out the enemies that are in our heart. He wants to come into our life to cleanse our heart, to drive away the fear, to drive away the pain, to drive away the enemies that keep us from getting close to him. That's what he wants to do. And that's why we keep him at a distance because we know that's what he's going to do if we let him that close. He goes on and he says this. This is what Jesus says in John 14. You can read the whole chapter. It's amazing how this mirrors what we're talking about this morning. Jesus says, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. There's a promised land. If not, I would have told you there wasn't. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back, receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My Father will love him. We'll come. We'll come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. Jesus puts this really plainly. It's like reading Deuteronomy again, the sixth chapter. He just kind of lays it out. He says, look, it's, it's a real simple thing. Where's your heart? If your heart's so troubled, why? Why is your heart so troubled? Is it for the things of God or is your heart so troubled? Because you don't want to end up like Jesus, naked on a cross, publicly shamed with a spear driven through your side. Because you don't think that's actually the promised life, the promised land, that God would never want that to happen to any of my loved ones. Really, he let it happen to his loved one, beloved one, for us. He goes on as Jesus says this. Jesus is being questioned by the religious leaders, and this is what he's asked. They come to him and say, do you believe in the resurrection? In other words, do you believe in the promised land that we're going to actually be resurrected and have a, a new life and God's going to establish? And 
Jesus says, yeah, and the Sadducees, he says, you guys are deceived because you don't know the scriptures of the power of God. Is this not our problem? Before this series, how many of you took the time to really read through Deuteronomy carefully? Maybe a few? Most of us just breeze through in the Bible plan so we can get to Psalms, right? <laughs> like, like he says, look, I want you to know the scriptures because the power of God is in them. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. In other words, they're like, whoa, he just embarrassed the Sadducees. He put them in their place. So then the Pharisees think, well, we'll get him. They ask a question to test him. Teacher, which commands the law in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the same exact quote from Deuteronomy. They know where he's going when he's speaking this. And then he says, this is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love Love your neighbor as yourself. He goes, they're, they're both the same. It's the first four laws. The first four commands are love God. The next six are love people. And then he says, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Love God and love people. All of the Bible depends on the command and the definition of what love is. And if you want to say, that's not loving, that's not loving, that's not loving, you better be sure God never did it. Because if God did something that you say wasn't loving, then God is no longer loving. See, we've twisted these words around. And we have to be very, very careful because God doesn't just stop doing love to do justice. He doesn't just stop, you know, do it, you know, stop love to, to do justice or stop justice to do love. He is loving and just all in the same breath all the time. And that is hard to understand. So let me ask you this morning. Jesus refers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob here. He he says the laws and the prophets and everyone. Let me ask you, do you know God's love for you? Do you understand how to love yourself and how to love others because you know what God's law says about what it means to care? Do you really go to God, come to him because you really want to know what it means to love him and love others? You want to listen to what he says about loving him and loving others. You want to learn what it means to love him and love others and you want to follow him carefully. Because if that's not your heart, I'm wondering, what, why are you in a relationship with him? What's the deal you made with him? That, that you're not surrendered in your heart to him. That doesn't mean you don't sin. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. But it means when you do, man, conviction's on you, and you're back at the throne. You're like the, the Israelites in Numbers, bowing down, crying out, because there's a plague you know that's coming because of your sin, and you're asking forgiveness. You're crying out instead of walking pridefully through the camp. See, Jesus showed us the value of a relationship. Are you ready for this? Because he came to us. He listened to us. He chose to become a baby and learn as a human being, and he followed God's law perfectly, carefully, his entire life. He's not asking us to do anything he wasn't willing to do. Then he goes on, and God doesn't ask us. You see, it's much easier to buy people off to get things done than it is to come, listen, learn, and carefully follow. And then when you realize you're not carefully following, to go back to the beginning and go to God and believe you can go to him again. That God still says, come. And you can come to him and say, I'm sorry. I've blown it again. And you'll listen to what he has to say to you through the people he communicates to you, the law, the prophets, the leaders that he's placed in your life you'll learn and you'll follow him carefully and get up from that moment and do what he asks you to do. See, the story isn't different. The story is completion. 
we're at a different part of the story. They, they were looking forward to Christ. We look back to him, and we should all be looking for the day when he does it all.